Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. My name is Zach Kroll. I am your host, not only today, but every episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast. And this is your podcast where we will be talking all things college basketball from now until the end of the season, the final four in Atlanta, the road will end there. And this is one of the episodes I look forward to the most. Uh, and an episode I was really excited about when I had the idea of starting up this podcast, just because we just finished an absolute great time to be a college basketball fan. Feast week, not only in college basketball, but really around the sports world right now. There are so many things going on between the college basketball season kicking off. We have the FIFA World Cup going on, big game coming up for the United States on Tuesday against Iran. Just one win, and they will advance to the group stage. We also have the NFL. We have college football. We saw Michigan go into Columbus and beat Ohio State. Playoff spots are still up for grabs. So it is just a great time to be a sports fan. What a weekend it was. But you guys know we are going to be doing one thing and one thing only on this podcast, and it's going to be talking all things college basketball. And I wanted to first say I apologize to you guys for only having one episode last week with the Thanksgiving holiday. There was a lot of traveling going on with a bunch of games, but we are going to be back doing three episodes a week going forward here on the College Hoops Daily Podcast, and there is just so much action to react to. And there were a couple ways I was thinking about how I was going to organize and how I was going to do today's episode with just so many takeaways, so many teams playing, so many games going on. And what I actually decided to do was this. I came up with my 10 biggest takeaways from the weekend or from the whole week, actually. And what we are going to be doing on today's show is I'm going to be breaking down my top 10 takeaways from the past week. And This is really the best way for me to just talk about as many things that went on as possible because, again, it was a great week of college basketball with just so much action going on, and it it was hard to organize, and it was hard to determine uh, what we were going to talk about. So I just came up with my top 10 takeaways, and the episode today of College Hoops Daily is going to be me talking about each one of these takeaways, breaking them down, and then starting on Wednesday – We'll be back reacting to each of the live games. We have the Big Ten ACC Challenge, the final one we just learned actually this morning that will be starting up. So it is going to be a great episode today here of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. I'm really looking forward to it. And without further ado, it's time to begin. So here are my top 10 biggest takeaways from Feast Week. The number one takeaway for me, and this is the team... I was the most impressed with during Feast Week, and you already know what it is. It has to be Matt Painter and his Purdue Boilermakers, who win one half of the PK-85. They took down Duke in the championship game last night. But just when you thought that was impressive by Purdue, how about the Boilers taking down Gonzaga on Friday night? And not only did Purdue take down Gonzaga, They beat them by 18 points. The game was not really that close. So Purdue beats Gonzaga. They also earned a win over West Virginia. They also have a win over Marquette. So if you look at Purdue's resume now, they have four really good wins. Marquette at home 
West Virginia on a neutral, Gonzaga on a neutral, Duke on a neutral, and thankfully Purdue will take a little bit of a step down in competition coming up in the ACC Big Ten Challenge as they will travel to Tallahassee to take on a, a, a struggling Florida State team. But I'll say this about Purdue, right? Last year, the Boilermakers were one of the most frustrating teams to watch in all of college basketball because when you looked at their talent, when you looked at their personnel, they had the potential to be a Final Four-type elite basketball team. And we saw flashes of it, right? Jaden Ivey, a top-five pick in the NBA draft, he had his moments, and he was one of the best players in the sport of college basketball last season. But it didn't necessarily translate to winning all the time because Matt Painter, he built his offense around the post and Zach Eady. And I totally understand when you're a head coach, you have certain philosophies that you want to stick to. But first of all, I think Trevion Williams last season was the better, more effective option for Purdue. And I just don't think Matt Painter ever really found a way to get him more playing time. He was just obsessed with playing Zach Eady and that kind of clogged things up in a li- in the middle a little bit, especially when Purdue had a point guard in Isaiah Thompson that just really wasn't that capable of shooting the basketball. And they tried their best to surround Jaden Ivey and Zach Eady with as much shooting as possible with, with uh, Sasha Stefanovic and uh, with Mason Gillis, guys like that. But unfortunately, Purdue after they got a golden opportunity last season, right? Kentucky loses in their bracket. And they all they had to do in order to go to the Elite Eight was beat St. Peter's, and then they would have had a matchup in the Elite Eight against number eight seed North Carolina. That's a game Purdue would have been probably favored to win. And unfortunately, the Boilers couldn't come through. They lose to St. Peter's. So I still stand by. Last season was very, very disappointing for Purdue. And not going to lie, they lose Jaden Ivey, they lose Trevion Williams, and that didn't really uh, make me feel any better about Purdue going into this season. But they have some dudes on this team that were really impressive. How about freshman point guard Braden Smith? He is really impressive to me. He played great against Gonzaga with 14 points, 5 rebounds, and 7 assists. And then yesterday in the championship game against Duke, he finishes with 4 points, 8 rebounds, to assist. This is a guy that just always has the game under control. You never really felt nervous about him costing Purdue or making any mistakes yesterday, which is pretty rare uh, for a freshman point guard. And Braden Smith, this is a kid to watch for Purdue going forward. And then you look at the box score for the Boilermakers against Duke yesterday. Zachy, he finishes with 21 and 12, one of the best players in college basketball. And I think now that Trevian Williams is out of the picture, there's no confusion. This is Zach Eady's front court, and that is going to make him just a matchup nightmare, standing there at 7-4. And we know Drew Timmy, right? We've seen him before. He's one of the best players, if not the best player in all of college basketball, and he did not stand a chance. Again, Zachy also wanted to give out to uh, give a shout out to Fletcher Lawyer, the younger brother of Davidson and former Michigan State guard Foster Lawyer. He played he played really well for Purdue. He finished with 18 points in the Boilers championship game victory over Duke. And again, I'll say this: I was very critical of Matt Painter and the job that he did with the Purdue Boilermakers last season. They were very frustrating, but this team is the opposite. It's very fun to watch. They've been really impressive. And when you play around Zach Eady, 
you're going to have open shooters that he could find and dish the ball to. And he is actually a pretty good passer. I think that's one of the more underrated things about Zach Eady's game. He finished with three assists in Purdue's victory over Duke. And he's just a guy that you're going to have to game plan around. He's really tough to stop. And Purdue is definitely going to be a team to contend with at the top of the Big Ten. They should be ranked in the top ten, maybe even higher in the top five of the AP poll coming up this week and uh, just a really impressive effort for Purdue. And if you look at the remainder of the Boilers schedule, besides the Big Ten, all they really have is a game against Davidson, who's pretty good. They were an NCAA tournament team last year. That game will be uh, lawyer versus lawyer, which is going to be really cool. But that game will be in the Crossroads Classic. I don't even, with Indiana dropping out, but that game will be in Indianapolis at the Gambridge Fieldhouse. But then it's all just Big Ten opponents for Purdue the rest of the way. And we'll get into the Big Ten as a conference a little bit later here on the show. But, oh, shout-out to Purdue. Shout-out to Matt Painter. I think they had a phenomenal weekend. The next takeaway, and we're going to continue this trend in terms of teams that just had great weekends who played really well and won their MTE multi-team event. They are designed to get you ready for the setting, for the environment, of the NCAA tournament. And the cool thing about feast week is you get to see these teams in action in these environments without really any consequences. I know that when you uh, go to these events and when you watch your team play, you're going to want to win at all costs. And the games are very important from a resume perspective. There were plenty of teams that did really good work this week in terms of their tournament resume, but then there were other teams that really struggled that really uh, couldn't get it going for their tournament resume. But the next team I wanted to get into is Arizona. They ended up winning the Maui Invitational. And my takeaway on Arizona is this. I don't think there was a team I was more wrong on in the preseason than the Arizona Wildcats. And I wanted to give a shout out to our guy, the founder of Aaron Torres Media. Yes, Aaron Torres himself. He was very bullish on this Arizona team going into the season. And here's my thing, right? There is no doubt that Tommy Lloyd did a phenomenal job with last year's team. However, mostly all of the players on that Arizona team were not only Sean Miller guys, but clear NBA players, right? Ben Matherin played himself into being a top 10 pick in the NBA draft. Dalen Terry played himself into being a top 20 pick in the NBA draft. And Christian Coloco, a guy that I was a huge fan of down low, he played his way into being a second round pick and a rotational player in the NBA. No matter what program you are, when you're losing that kind of production, usually it's going to be tough to replace that. And you're going to take at least a little bit of a step back, especially in Arizona's case, considering they were a one seed in the NCAA tournament last year. They won the Pac-12 regular season title. They won the Pac-12 tournament title. And it was just impossible or unreasonable, in my opinion, to think that without all those guys, they'd be able to come anywhere close to doing that again. But instead, they look better. And Arizona had an unreal Maui Invitational coming up with three pretty, I don't want to say easy wins, but you never really felt like they were going to lose against Cincinnati, against San Diego State, or against Creighton. And the first guy we have to talk about when it comes to this Arizona team is Umar Balo, the Gonzaga transfer who redshirted for his first season at Gonzaga. He didn't play a ton 
in his second year at Gonzaga playing behind guys like Drew Timmy. And then last year, he follows former Gonzaga assistant and now current Arizona head coach Tommy Lloyd to Tucson. He follows him there, and he played a little bit last year. He was at one of Arizona's top contributors off the bench, and you saw flashes. But Umar Balo had a dominant Maui Invitational, including his performance against Creighton in the championship game, where he plays 30 minutes, puts up 30 points, and 13 rebounds of on 14 of 17 shooting from the field. Just an absolutely ridiculous stat line from Umar Balo. And this kid's improvement, this kid's development, it's all Tommy Lloyd. He deserves a huge shout-out for that. And this Arizona team looks as dangerous as ever. The other guy I wanted to give a shout-out to is Kirk Risa, a guy who last year, Arizona's point guard, and he is obviously still Arizona's point guard. That was one of my concerns for Arizona last year. There were many times where Kirk Creasa just looked a little bit overwhelmed by the intensity and the setting of the game. And he would just shoot, 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 and shoot some more. And I totally understand when you're confident, that's a good thing. Uh, when you're confident in your ability to get buckets at all costs. But I think sometimes when you had other guys around him, like Ben Matherin and Dalen Terry last year, that kind of held Arizona back a little bit at certain moments. But in the Maui Invitational, that was the absolute opposite. It was the best game or games, period of games, I've seen Kirk Creasa play in his college career. So under control in the championship game against Creighton, he finishes with 33 minutes played, 13 points, three rebounds, and nine assists. And there were so many passes made by Kirk Creasa where you're watching the game and you see the pass made and you turn around. It's like, wow, Kirk Creasa really just did that. What court vision and what a player. Azulis Tubelis, he's a guy that doesn't always get a lot of headlines because his game isn't too flashy. Isn't It's not very exciting, but there aren't many more. There aren't many players that are more skilled in the post than Tubelis. I also love Courtney Ramey. He, he looks more aggressive. He's hunting for a shot more often. Pella Larson is a guy that could help any team win any day of the week. And this Arizona team is the real deal. Uh, you guys know I was really high on UCLA going into the season. They were my pick to win not only the Pac-12, but actually the national championship. And uh, with the way the Bruins have started off the season, maybe uh, that's not really looking like the best pick so far. But Arizona's looking really good. It's still really early. And congratulations to them and Tommy Lloyd for winning the Maui Invitational against three really good teams. Like, there's a chance Cincinnati could be a tournament team, and Arizona actually just picked up victories over three NCAA tournament teams in Maui uh, this past week. So a really impressive job by Arizona winning the Maui Invitational, and they are definitely going to be right there at the top of the Pac-12 going forward. Continuing with our 10 top takeaways from Feast Week, I have to talk a little bit about the Big East and mainly UConn as the Connecticut Huskies. They win the second bracket of the PK-85 along with Purdue as last night they beat Iowa State in the championship game by a pretty convincing margin. They beat the Cyclones 71-53. to And my takeaway from not only this, but in the whole Big East in general, is that UConn and Creighton, of course, the team that many people labeled as the favorites, these are clearly, in my opinion, the two clear best teams in the Big East. Right now, in the Big East hierarchy, you have UConn, you have Creighton at the top, those two, and it's everybody else. And I was so impressed by the Huskies and their weekend in Portland because 
they have actually dealt with a little bit of adversity so far to start the season. Two of their top players, and you could actually make the argument like you have Adamas Nogo as well, but probably two of their three best players in Jordan Hawkins and Andre Jackson. They got hurt to start off the season, but Dan Hurley made it his goal and just wanted to make sure that in this game and in this tournament, those two guys were going to be ready to play. And it's interesting because as impressive as UConn was, it wasn't even those two guys necessarily that made them so impressive. It was the guys that you don't necessarily think about when you think of this UConn Huskies team, and I will explain. You have a guy in Tristan Newton, the transfer from East Carolina, who was a great scorer there. He's done a really good job coming into the point guard role and scoring a little bit while also doing a really good job of sharing his the ball with his teammates and running the offense. He had eight assists in UConn's semifinal win of the PK-85 against Alabama. You also have a freshman big man, and I need you guys to remember this name, Donovan Klingon. He finishes in 18 minutes played against Iowa State off the bench. UConn's third player off the bench, by the way. He finishes with 15 and 10. You look at his game against Alabama, Alabama, he finishes with four and five, but he also had a 16-point performance earlier this season in one of UConn's wins against Delaware State. And UConn, they've made the tournament the last few years with good, solid veterans, uh, your Tyler Pollys of the world, your Isaiah Whaley's, uh, guys like that. And when you look at the Huskies now, Dan Hurley did a really good job trying to solve the problems that really cost this UConn Husky team last season. And it's with their shooting. And UConn now finally has guys from the perimeter that can make shots. And when your best player is Adama Sanogo uh, down low, that's a great thing to have. When you have a guy in Alex Caravan who is very quickly becoming one of my favorite freshmen in the country, he's a guy that just makes winning plays. You look at the stat sheet, not not a lot of his numbers are necessarily going to stand out, but he finishes uh, the championship game against Iowa State with 38 minutes played, 10 points, four rebounds, one assist. And if you watch the game, you could tell this kid just makes winning plays. And UConn also has another player out right now in Samson Johnson, a former top 100 recruit that I know Danny Hurley and a lot of Husky fans were really excited about going into the season. But I never really felt for a second that UConn was in trouble against Iowa State. And keep in mind, Iowa State and TJ Otzelberger, the job that he's done there, it's been really impressive. The Cyclones come away with two really good victories over uh, Villanova and North Carolina before they ended up losing to UConn in the championship game. But even more impressive in this game, uh, Jordan Hawkins, he only plays five minutes. He only scores two points, and the Huskies still find a way to win. Now, Hawkins, he did struggle with injuries before the season started. And when you look at his performance last night, um, you know, he did, he was banged up a little bit. He should be back ready to go in time for the Huskies uh, coming up at following this PK 85. But he is a guy that has the potential to play in the NBA going forward, as does Andre Jackson. And this UConn team, they are a team to watch going forward because the rest of the Big East may not be as good as we necessarily expected. Creighton, they had an impressive weekend coming up with two nice victories in Maui over Texas Tech in Arkansas before losing in the championship game to Arizona, as I mentioned before. 
And this Creighton team is really the exact Blue Jay team that everyone uh, that was so high on them in the preseason was expecting. You have Ryan Nebhardt at point guard. It's looking like he's made a huge jump. He's going to be a guy that Creighton could rely on down the stretch of games going forward. Ryan Kalkbrunner, he's his normal self, impacting the game in so many ways on both ends of the floor. The one thing for Creighton you want to see is Arthur Kaluma a little bit more involved. It was weird. The offense... He just didn't really have many shots, and I think that's something that cost Creighton in the championship game against Arizona. The Blue Jays are going to have to find a way to really get him going, but there is a positive that comes with that, and that's Baylor Shireman. He's looked like he fits in perfectly with this Creighton uh, system and their offense, the transfer uh, from South Dakota State. He hit a couple shots in the Maui Invitational from the A in Maui, and you're just thinking to yourself, like, wow, holy cow. This kid could really shoot the basketball, and we know with Greg McDermott and the way he likes to run offense, that is just a perfect, perfect fit for Creighton. I think right now it's pretty safe to say Creighton and UConn, the clear two best teams in the Big East, and it is everyone else after that. Moving on to my next takeaway from Feast Week, and A ton of these teams played in these marquee events during Feast Week. A couple of them didn't, but I wanted to say this, right? We have teams in college basketball, the Blue Bloods, that we are just used to being good each and every year. Duke, Kansas, North Carolina, Gonzaga, I would even throw into that conversation. The Zags have been consistently one of the better programs in college basketball in recent years. And this year is really the first time in a while that when you ask, okay, who are the best teams in the country? I think there's a chance, and at least right now, I a thousand percent feel this way. Maybe it could change. But I don't think Duke is one of the best teams in the country. I don't think Kansas is one of the best teams in the country. I don't think Gonzaga is one of the best teams in the country. North Carolina, they're not one of the best teams in the country. And Kentucky, they're clearly not one of the best teams in the country. So all five of those teams... Not only are these big-time brands, but we expected these teams to be really good going into the season, and clearly, that's just not the case right now. And Duke, they've lost to Kansas. They also got ran off the floor by Purdue in the championship game. How about this of the PK-85 of the championship game? Duke does not score a point in their last seven minutes against Purdue in the PK-85 championship game? What? And I know that Duke has had some injury problems with Derek uh, Lively and Derek Whitehead uh, going into the season, but both these guys are healthy. Both those guys played against Purdue on Sunday, and Duke never stood a chance. And even against Xavier in the semifinals of the PK-85, anyone who watched that game knows that Jeremy Roach really bailed Duke out. And Roach is a leader for this Duke team on a team full of freshmen and younger players that also includes a first-year head coach in John Shire, Jeremy Roach is the one guy that has been around for a minute now, and he wouldn't let Duke lose uh, on Friday against Xavier in the semifinals of the PK-85. It was a very impressive performance by him. But at the same time, we know Jeremy Roach throughout his college career, he'll have games like that, like we saw in the NCAA tournament last year when he really was one of the main contributors helping Duke reach uh, all the way to the final four, but he'll have games also where he is just totally out of control and does not play well and is super inefficient. uh, Roach finished Duke semifinals game against Xavier in the PK 85 
with 21 points, shooting 9 of 15 from the field and 2 of 4 from 3, one of Roach's better games in his college career. But right now, Duke looks off. Kansas, they look off. They got ran off the floor by Tennessee in the finals of the battle for Atlantis. That game was never particularly close. I think Bill Self, he's good enough to win Kansas enough games, but they're just not vintage Kansas. North Carolina, they lose two of three this weekend to Iowa State, to Alabama. That North Carolina-Alabama quadruple overtime game, I mean, I don't even know if I want to talk about it. That's how bad it was. Just some brutal, ugly late execution on the offensive side of the ball by both teams uh, in the back end of that game. But Alabama, they come up with a nice victory over North Carolina. And it wasn't pretty, but you'll take it. And at the end of the day on Selection Sunday, uh, that win is not going to look any different because it was just an ugly four-overtime game. So a good job by Alabama picking up wins for their resume. I think they're a team to watch going forward. I think that's a team in the SEC we're going to keep our eyes on. But North Carolina, they look much closer to the team that was a number eight seed in the NCAA tournament uh, last season, opposed to the team that made it all the way to the Final Four and the national championship game on a just magical run. And I thought North Carolina might take a little bit of a step back, especially early, but things are not looking good for them right now. And on Wednesday night in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, they will be going on the road to Indiana, the preseason favorite in the Big Ten They are currently a top 10 team, so it's not going to get any easier for UNC. And then you have Gonzaga, who I'll give them credit. They shot the lights out against Xavier in their third game. The Zags finished their weekend 2-1, and but one of the wins came over Portland State. You get the win over Xavier, fine, but Gonzaga never really stood a chance against Purdue. That game was not particularly close, and I said this at the beginning of the season, even before, but I especially felt great about it after Gonzaga barely beat Michigan State on opening night in that aircraft carrier game. uh, This Gonzaga team, it's good, but it is just nowhere close to the Gonzaga teams we've seen in recent years just put up 100 points, it feels like, a a game. And that scoring, it's not going to be able this season to outdo their struggles on the defensive end. And we saw that against Purdue. We even saw it a little bit against Xavier, where Gonzaga builds this big lead. Xavier, they're shooting the lights out to make a comeback, but Gonzaga does just enough. And the key for this Bulldog team, in my opinion, is Julian Strouther. He finishes Sunday's game against Xavier with 34 minutes played, 23 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, 8 of 15 from the field, and a 5 of 8 performance from 3. Nolan Hickman, the other guy I would put into that category, he finishes with 14 points uh, on 4 of 7 from 3. So Hickman and Strouther... Both played really well in this game. Gonzaga got a combined 11 threes from both those guys. And how about this? Looking at the box score for Gonzaga, the Bulldogs, all five of their starters not only scored in double digits, but all five of them played 30-plus minutes a game. Talking about uh, Julian Strouder, Nolan Hickman, Rasir Bolton, Drew Timmy, and Anton Watson. Gonzaga's main contributor off the bench was Ben Gregg. He only played 13 minutes in this game against Xavier uh, then you had Malachi Smith only play eight minutes. Hunter Salas only play seven minutes. Efton Reed only play one. So Mark Few really cutting down that rotation at an early point in the season. And that just, again, confirms this Gonzaga team is just not the Gonzaga team we've seen in recent memory. Not even trying to throw shade at their program. It's just really hard to keep it up at that elite level for year after year after year, especially when you're losing guys 
like Chet Holmgren and Jalen Suggs, great elite players that went in the top five of the NBA draft. And again, that's why going back to Arizona, I'm so impressed with them because they lost their guys and it almost looks like they got better. But a tough weekend for really all of those teams. I would put Kentucky into that category as well. They didn't play in one of these major uh, Feast Week tournaments, but really they should be in the PK-85. I I know uh, there was a report that came out over the weekend that they said no to the PK-80, and that's why they weren't really involved in the PK-85, and Georgetown was uh, another team that was put into that same category. But we needed Kentucky in Portland this past weekend. I'm not sure how well they would have done. But those five teams to me, Duke, Kansas, North Carolina, Gonzaga, Kentucky. I know they're big names. I know they're the Blue Bloods. But those teams are don't look like now what they usually are and what they were supposed to be. So a weird year in college basketball where some of the biggest brand names, they just might not be what we expected. So we started off this show with the takeaways on all the Feast Week tournaments, right? We spoke about UConn. We spoke about Arizona. We spoke about Creighton and Purdue getting the job done. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the first year head coaches in college basketball. And we'll take a break quickly from those Feast Week tournaments. But I'll give credit to Fox Sports' John Fanta. There are four first-year head coaches at their respective programs that are currently undefeated. You have Kansas State. Jerome Tang, you got Maryland's Kevin Willard, you got Missouri's Dennis Gates, and you got another SEC team in Chris Jans at Mississippi State. And I wanted to give a shout out to all four of these guys because it's never easy to have your team undefeated a few weeks into the season when you have a first year head coaching job. And I totally understand that a lot of these circumstances are different, right? When uh, you look at Missouri, they haven't really played a cha- uh, too challenging of a game yet. You also uh, we'll look at Kansas State. They got the win over LSU, but I want to see them challenged a little more, especially when they got a deal with the Big 12 and just the gauntlet that is. But I am so impressed with Chris Jans at Mississippi State. And this is a guy that fits perfectly in Starkville. You got to be a little bit rough around the edges. You're not going to get the five-star recruits to come to Starkville, Mississippi. But you need to build a culture on toughness, and you're going to win like that. And Chris Jans, what made him so good at New Mexico State is they were able to take players that, yeah, were really talented, but might have faced some adversity off the floor, either from an academic perspective, from uh, just a transferring perspective where they didn't like their previous home. And Chris Jans has been building teams with new players for a while now. Uh, based on his days in the JUCO ranks. And I think that's what makes this fit at Mississippi State so good is there are some new players and there are even some returning players, right? Like the thing that made Mississippi State so frustrating with Ben Howland is they had the talent, right? Like Iverson Molinar, really talented player, pro. Reggie Perry, really talented player, pro. They had Quindar- uh, the, 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 the transfer um, that went to Kansas, Malik Newman. They had... Quindary Witherspoon. They had his brother, Nick Witherspoon. Like, these are good recruits. Even the team last year featuring some of the players that came back, right? Like, Tolu Smith, really talented player. Shaquille Moore, really talented player. And I think, finally, Chris Jans is now the guy that could take that talent and actually win with it. He led New Mexico State to an NCAA tournament victory over UConn last year. And now, Chris Jans 
and Mississippi State, they win the Fort Myers Classic, getting two victories over Marquette and Utah. And I know those aren't the greatest opponents per se, but I think Chris Jans, he's going to be doing a really good job at Mississippi State. And if you pull up the remaining schedule for the Bulldogs in non-conference play, they're going to have uh, some interesting opportunities coming up because when you look at uh, their schedule here, they will have games coming up and they're currently 6-0. and They'll go to Minnesota. Can they win that game? It's not going to be easy. They'll also go to Drake, who is a really good team in the mid-major ranks. And then the first two games of SEC play for Mississippi State, they will host Alabama on December 28th, and they will go to Tennessee. So that's not going to be an easy start for Chris Jans, but I believe in him. Jerome Tang and a big win by Kansas State over LSU. Uh, their top player, Keontae Johnson, the former Florida Gator, really good to see him back on the floor after it really wasn't a guarantee if he was going to be playing college basketball ever again. And Kansas State is another team we're going to see in action coming up this week. They'll be going on the road to Butler. Really looking forward to that one. The Bulldogs are a team with another, uh, they're another team with a first year head coach in Thad Mata. They had a one and two weekend, uh, down there in Atlantis this past week. So that'll be an interesting matchup. We spoke a little bit about Kevin Willard and Maryland on the show last week. Was really impressed by them. And then the other guy is Missouri's Dennis Gates. The Tigers haven't really played in a major game yet against a quality big-time opponent. But if you look at the rest of Missouri's remaining non-conference schedule, they're going to have some chances as well when they – will take on Kansas at home. That's obviously going to be the game to watch. They'll go to UCF. They'll also host Illinois. So Missouri has some big, big rivalry games coming up that I'm really looking forward to watching them in there as well. But there are some first-year head coaches that are catching my attention that I wanted to give a shout-out to with uh, Dennis Gates, with Jerome Tang, Kevin Willard, and Chris Jans. Those guys are doing a really good job so far. That's takeaway number five. Moving on to takeaway number six here during Feast Week, I have to talk about dying brands. And this is another one where I'm going to give a shout out to my guy, Aaron Torres, the founder of Aaron Torres Media. He'll come on this podcast probably on Wednesday, but he's been on a bunch of times so far since we started. And he's harped on this even before last year, calling Syracuse a dying brand. And I know the main takeaway by most from Syracuse's game against Bryant on Sunday was that crazy clip that went viral of Doug Eddard and Judah Mintz getting at it. And then you see the big man on Syracuse, John Bolajac, just have his eyes on Doug Eddard and run towards him. And then as soon as Doug sees that, this is keep in mind, Doug Eddard, the former guard from St. Peter's that was became the the hero in college basketball last year, the face really of their Cinderella run, he transfers to Bryant. And I I know it's Bryant, but Bryant actually has one. They're very well coached, Jared Grasso. All he does is win. And they do have some dudes, right? They have Earl Timberlake, the former uh, top 40 recruit Memphis and Miami. They have Doug Eddard. You know, they have some guys on this team. And Bryant goes into Syracuse, into the Carrier Dome, and gets the job done. This is now... Really the second time Syracuse has lost a game this season uh, to an opponent they really should beat uh, looking back at Syracuse losing to Colgate to start off their season. And the Orange right now are 3-3. Three and three. That was their third loss of the season. They have a loss to Bryant. They have the loss to St. John's in Brooklyn. And they have the loss to Colgate. And it's not going to get any easier for the Orange because their next two games at 
at Illinois and at Notre Dame. The first game will be part of the Big Ten ACC Challenge, and then they will kick off ACC play against Notre Dame. And when you look at the Syracuse team and the job, it's one of the best jobs in college basketball. The Carrier Dome for a big game is electric. They will break attendance records, and they'll continue to do that. And when Syracuse first got to the ACC, if you remember, they were playing these classic overtime games against Duke. You remember Jim Beheim throwing off his jacket on that block charge call and getting ejected from the game at Cameron Indoor Stadium? I mean, Syracuse and Duke, they played some big-time games. And the thing with Syracuse is it was cute at first when they were entering the NCAA tournament as, you know, 10-11 seeds and pulling off these crazy upsets and going all the way to the Final Four when no one was picking them to. But Syracuse is too good to be in that position consistently year after year after year. And Jim Beheim, he's a legend, a Hall of Fame coach, one of the best coaches in the history of college basketball. But right now, Syracuse is just not good enough under his watch. And I know that his his two kids, Buddy and Jim, they just left, and it was cool. It must have been really cool for Jim Beheim to coach his two sons recently. But Syracuse didn't make the NCAA tournament last year when they also had an NBA player in Cole Swider. I mean, Jesse Edwards, I actually think he's one of the more underrated players in college basketball. He just always puts up great numbers in that game against Bryant. Jesse Edwards, in 31 minutes played, he has 12 points and 21 rebounds. Yes, 21 rebounds. They also have a freshman... Justin Taylor, he looks like the real deal. He's able to score the ball. He leads Syracuse with 25 points against Bryant, but it just seems like Jim Beheim is so committed to Joe Girard. You know he's uh, uh he's played with Buddy and Jim before. Like He's been there for a while, and he's not very good. He's very inconsistent. Joe Girard shoots one of 12 from the field against Bryant. Just not good enough. Syracuse is a dying brand. They need a revamp. The other team you got to put into this category is Georgetown. And it is just looking clearly like it's going to be the end for Patrick Ewing here. And just when you think it can't get any worse for Georgetown, they just seem to set a new low. Now, luckily, Georgetown did win their game on Saturday against UMBC by nine points. But the point of this whole conversation here is the fact that if I'm saying, oh, good job by Georgetown, you're beating UMBC, that is apparent. That just shows how low everything is right now at Georgetown. They're down bad, especially after they lost to American University on their home floor uh, this past week. Georgetown was up by 10 at the half. American outscores them 44 to 30 in the second half. This was their first win over Georgetown since 1982. So it has been over 35 years that Georgetown had lost to American. That streak ended. And the Hoyas are now sitting at four and three with losses to Northwestern. The, probably the worst team in the Big Ten. Loyola Marymount in blowout fashion, by the way. that They lost that game by 18 points. And American, after they blow a double-digit halftime lead. Just unacceptable stuff from Georgetown. They need to get better. And Georgetown and Syracuse, like when those two teams are popping, when those two teams are playing at their best, it's a great rivalry. Unfortunately, both those teams are very, very far from that right now. Louisville is another team you'd put in that category. I wouldn't say they're a dying brand. But they're sitting right now at 0-3 after or they're sitting right now uh after going 0-3 in Maui. And overall, they they're looking like 
there could be a chance that Louisville just starts their season 0-10 when you look at the remainder of their schedule. But right now, they are sitting with at 0-6 with three one-point losses, all the mid-major ranks, Bellarmine, Wright State, App State, and then they just got blown out all three games in Maui against Arkansas, Texas Tech, and Cincinnati. Louisville will host Maryland coming up to start off uh, their non-conference play, and then they will open up ACC play against Miami. So those teams are just dying brands. It's unfortunate right now. Louisville, Syracuse, and Georgetown, it's just not looking great for any of those three programs, and I don't really see them turning it around anytime soon. Continuing with our top 10 takeaways from Feast Week, I wanted to get into a few teams that really disappointed me during Feast Week. And there are so many teams in college basketball, we try to set our expectations for them based on what they did last year, based on what they added. And each and every year, nothing changes in the sense that there are always just a few teams that we are expecting big things from going into Feast Week, and they do not deliver. And the first team that falls into this category for me, we will go to the Atlantic 10, and let's talk about the Dayton Flyers. Now, Dayton is interesting. If you remember, in 2020, the season that ended up getting uh, postponed with about a month left uh, before the tournament started due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Dayton that year kind of made themselves known in Maui when they won their first two games and then they advanced to the championship game, they took on Kansas. And that was one of the better games in the history of Feast Week, in my opinion, just an overtime classic. You had Obi Toppin versus Yudoka as a bookie down low. That was just a tremendous matchup. And we never got a chance to see that Dayton team go to the NCAA tournament and they could have made the final four. Obi Toppin was probably the best player in college basketball that year. He was that good, but Dayton the following year, a little bit of a rebuilding year. But let's go to last year, right? The Flyers start off their season terribly. After a win against UIC, they lose to UMass Lowell, Lipscomb, and Austin P consecutively. Those are three pretty bad mid-major teams. And in most instances, those three games are so bad that it is going to automatically take you out of NCAA tournament contention. However, what did Dayton do to follow that up? They win. The ESPN Events Invitational, they win their next three games against Miami, against Kansas, and against Belmont. And if you remember, Kansas, obviously, they ended up winning the national championship. Uh, Dayton got their payback on Kansas for the Maui title game. But they also beat Miami, who ended up being an NCAA tournament team. And they ended up making it all the way to the Elite Eight. And then Dayton continued to play pretty well during non-conference play last year. They actually ended up winning... Seven of their last eight Atlantic 10 regular season games last year. And they're bringing back basically everyone. They have a really good guard in Malachi Smith. They have a really good big man in Deron Holmes. They have a Georgia transfer, Tony Kamara, who is a really good player, especially at the Atlantic 10 level. I like Kobe Elvis. He can make some shots. They also have this kid, Amzil, the kid who uh, hit the game winner against Kansas last year. He could play. Anthony Grant should be a pretty solid coach. He's pretty good. Uh, Did some good work at Alabama, coached in the NBA, obviously was the coach of Dayton a few years ago when they were one of the best teams in the country. And Dayton, they were pretty much a consensus top 25 team this year. I personally had them right outside of that, but it made sense. They were really good last season and brought 
just about everyone back. But Dayton had a nightmare weekend in Atlantis, in the Bahamas, this past week. They lose to Wisconsin by one point, 43-42, in just an awful game. Neither team could hit a shot, but both teams had their chances in the end. Dayton couldn't take advantage of it. And I think Wisconsin, yeah, they're going to be an NCAA tournament team, and that was an opportunity lost for Dayton. They also lose to NC State. Now, NC State and Wisconsin, I would put both these teams in in this category, they actually impressed me this week. Like, I wasn't expecting a ton from NC State, but they're really good. They're going to be, I think, a sleeper team in the ACC. And I think the same thing could be said about Wisconsin. They lose Johnny Davis. They lose Brad Davison. But they look like just a classic Wisconsin team. Chucky Hepburn. Chucky Hepburn. This kid, Vasijan, the freshman, he's looking really good. They also uh, have Max Kuzmit, the transfer. He can make a shot here and there. Uh, Steven Crowell is back. Tyler Wall is back. Like It is just a classic Wisconsin team. Muck it up, play in the mud, uh, and they want to get into that low-scoring kind of game, and Dayton couldn't beat them. Dayton also loses to NC State. But then how about this? Dayton blows a massive lead in the first half against BYU, and they will leave the... Battle for Atlantis with an 0-3 record. And in that game against BYU, Dayton, they lost some starters, but they were up by 16 points at the half. And I know they had some injuries. Kamara, he goes down. Uh, You also have Kobe Elvis go down as well, which is pretty unfortunate for the Flyers. And hopefully those guys will be back sooner rather than later. But Dayton, they've lost their last three games in Atlantis. They also lost to UNLV to kick off uh, the season as well. So Dayton, things are not looking good for them. They were the one team that really disappointed me. Stanford was the other one. They got a win, but it was against Florida State. And they lost their other two games to Ole Miss and to Memphis. If you're Stanford and you're trying to make the NCAA tournament this year, those are games you got to win. This is another team that brought back a majority of their players from last year and actually played pretty well down the stretch. But as we always learn, that isn't always the recipe to get the job done. So I'm disappointed in Stanford. And then finally, Florida. Uh, I know my expectations for the Gators weren't as necessarily high as others. But getting ran off the floor by West Virginia, that's not a great look. And I know this West Virginia team should be improved compared to years past. But they are not one of the better teams in the Big 12. And it's not only that Florida lost. They lost by 30-plus points. Florida also had a tough loss to Xavier in the opening round of the PK-85, which is unfortunate. And when I look at this uh, Florida team and I compare them to some of the others in the SEC, I don't think people realize just yet the Gators are not better than Mississippi State. The Gators are not better than Ole Miss, who ended up going all the way to the championship game of the SPN Invitational event, Uh, had a tough loss against Oklahoma, but I like Ole Miss. Florida... We'll see what they're like compared to Missouri. Again, I like Dennis Gates. He's gotten them off to a really good start. But we have to see Missouri play some big games yet. The point is, I'm down on this Florida team, and my opinion didn't change after the PK-85. So those would probably be my three most disappointing teams of Feast Week. Dayton, Stanford, and Florida. Moving on to our seventh takeaway from Feast Week. You already know what we had to do. We got to talk about, or in the eighth, this is actually the eighth takeaway, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, can't always count. Uh, Monday, it, it happens. Arkansas, they had a really good performance in Maui, but it's not too often 
that we're going to have a main takeaway based on a team that didn't even win their MTE uh, multi-team event. But I have to talk about Arkansas. And before this tournament even started, the Hogs were shorthanded, right? They don't have Nick Smith, a guy who a lot of people said prior to the season would be the best prospect from a pro perspective that will be playing college basketball this season. And he still hasn't played yet due to a knee injury. But I was so impressed with another freshman Arkansas has, Anthony Black, his ability to just step into that point guard role right away and look as ready as ever. He made so many just nice passes and hit some shots as well. And he is really just a true combo guard that could play either on or off the ball. And I am a huge fan of Anthony Black. Uh, he's going to be playing in the NBA sooner rather than later. Jordan Walsh, pretty impressive as well. But Arkansas, they just got some dudes. Ricky Council, he could really score. Trevin Brazil, he's really impressive. Devo Davis, the veteran, he stepped up, gave Arkansas some good minutes. And the thing with Arkansas is historically, during the Eric Musselman era, we know they usually start off really slow and it takes them a little bit of time to make the proper adjustments, find the right rotation. And then by the time we get to February, by the time we get to March, by the time we get to the most important basketball your team is going to be playing, that's usually when Arkansas is at their best. And the fact that in this tournament, they were shorthanded, they had some things go against them. They were down for the majority of that game against San Diego State. And they find a way to win. And I know Eric Musselman had a little bit of an altercation with uh, San Diego State fans following that game. He did apologize for it. Uh, sometimes the tension uh, and just how high level those games are, they could get to you a little bit. But props to Musa for apologizing. And look, Eric Musselman is a winner. He gets the job done. And Arkansas leaves Maui with two victories, one over Louisville, which isn't really going to do much. But the victory over San Diego State definitely moves the needle for Arkansas. They were also right there in that game against Creighton in the semifinals of the Maui Invitational. I was really impressed with Arkansas this past weekend. They have depth, even without Nick Smith, the Mikel Mitchell down low. He also gave them uh, some pretty solid minutes. And when you look at Arkansas, they are definitely going to be a team to watch going forward in the SEC. I know uh, Tennessee, they did end up winning the battle for Atlantis and the Vols, they'll have some nights where they will – unstoppable and they'll be making shots and then they'll have other nights where it's the opposite like we saw in their NCAA tournament loss to Michigan last year but Arkansas they're a team that's really impressive going up uh going down to Maui getting the victory uh over San Diego State and then Arkansas will have one big game in their non-conference slate they will take on Oklahoma that game uh, is at the BOK Center in Tulsa for the second year in a row. And then they will start SEC conference play at LSU and hosting Missouri. So Arkansas, I think they have a legitimate argument for best team in the SEC, especially when they get healthy, especially when they're, when they get their guys back. And Eric Musselman is a winner. There aren't a ton of coaches in college basketball that I trust more than him. So shout out to Arkansas. Shout out to Coach Muss uh, for two nice victories this past weekend, and they were looking really good. I'm not going to lie. Before we continue with our 10 takeaways here on the College Hoops Daily podcast presented by Betfred Sports, we want to thank our presenting sponsor and the sponsor of all things Aaron Torres Media, Betfred Sportsbook. Betfred is one of Europe's biggest sports books with over 1,600 shops in the UK and have recently come to the US and have made a splash in a big way. They are the official betting partner of the Denver Broncos, Colorado Rockies, 
And now the Cincinnati Bengals. More importantly, they're the perfect partner for us here at the College Hoops Daily Podcast because they do more for their customers than anyone out there. Betfred has VIP tailgates at Broncos games, the Betfred suite at Bengals games, and no one gives out more free bonuses than Betfred. As a matter of fact, we have a special offer for all of our listeners and first-time users. Bet $50 on any College Hoops game and get $250 back in free bets courtesy of Betfred Sportsbook. To learn more, visit BedfordSportsbook.com. Continuing with our top 10 takeaways from Feast Week here on this Monday, it is time to talk about Villanova. And notice, there is a reason why I didn't put Villanova in my most disappointing teams of Feast Week category because I felt like I needed to just take a whole takeaway to talk about the Villanova Wildcats, who currently are sitting at 2-5. and five. They went 0-3, in Portland this past weekend with losses to Iowa State, Portland, and Oregon. And if you remember, Villanova lost two games earlier before this to Temple and to Michigan State. So Villanova is now 2-5. and Their only two wins are over Delaware State and LaSalle. And yeah, things have not been going well for the first year uh, so far of the Kyle Neptune era. And really for the first time in my life as a college basketball fan, I'm questioning to myself like, wow, is Villanova actually in jeopardy to miss the NCAA tournament? And right now, the answer is yes, because they can't win basketball games. And I totally understand they have some things going against them, right? They're without Cam Whitmore, one of the best freshmen in all of college basketball that's probably going to be playing in the NBA next year. But hey, I mean, if he doesn't play for Villanova, maybe not. So I guess if there is one thing Villanova fans can take away from this that's somewhat positive. Maybe that's that, but that it's not even that because Villanova, they want Cam Whitmore and they need Cam Whitmore back on the floor as soon as possible. And they're also missing Justin Moore. Uh, I think if he was fully healthy and returned to school, he'd be the preseason biggies player of the year. One of the clear best players in this conference, but he is still not healthy. And even when he's back on the floor, I think it's going to take him some time to get back to his normal self following that uh, devastating Achilles injury suffered in the Elite Eight uh, of last season against Houston. But with Villanova, losing to Iowa State is one thing. And I actually saw they fought back in that game like they were losing really for the majority of the game, but they made some shots in the end. They ended up losing by two. But losing to Portland, and I get it, right? Portland, they pushed North Carolina. They pushed Michigan State yesterday. Portland easily could have found their them, themselves in the championship game or the semifinals of the PK-85. Shante Leggins is a coach that I am buying a lot of stock in for the future. And Portland, if they ever make the NCAA tournament with this guy, watch out because he is going to lead them to some victories. Portland is a dangerous team. So shout out to Shante Leggins in Portland. But with that being said, Villanova cannot lose that game, especially without uh, by 12 points, and even without Whitmore and Justin Moore. Like, you're still Villanova. And the main problem I see with Villanova right now is that there are just certain guys that really should be playing, like, you know, 12 to 15 minutes a game that instead are taking on major minutes for this team. And the first name that comes to mind is Chris Archidiacono, the younger brother of Ryan. And when I mentioned also that, like, this is the first time Villanova is in a little bit of jeopardy, or a lot of jeopardy, I should say, when it comes to their NCAA tournament uh, aspirations and if they'll actually make it, this is also really the first time 
that Villanova hasn't had great point guard play, right? Villanova, kind of like the Green Bay Packers and quarterback play for the last 20, 25 years, kind of like the Los Angeles Chargers for the last 20 to 25 years, even though they haven't been able to win anything with it. And their great quarterback play with Drew Brees and Justin Herbert and Phillip Rivers, Villanova has had great point guard play. They've had Ryan Archie Diacono. They've had Jalen Brunson. They've had Colin Gillespie. And even in that one year after they won the national championship with Brunson gone and Gillespie was a freshman, he was, or he was a sophomore, actually. He was still a youngster, though. He didn't really have that big of a role yet on that Villanova team. Villanova, with Phil Booth as that combo pseudo point guard, they ended up making the tournament. They won a game, ended up uh, winning the Big East tournament that year as well and uh, ended up going to the round of 32 of the big dance before they lost to Purdue. But Villanova, the point is, they always have great point guard play. And Chris Archidiakno, at his best, is a backup point guard that will give you like 15 solid minutes a game and that will run the offense. But when he's having to play 23 minutes a game, like he did against Portland, he also played 28 minutes against Oregon. He played 39 minutes against Iowa State. Like, that's just, that can't happen. When Chris Archidiakno is your starting point guard, playing 39 minutes a game, you're in trouble. And I like Caleb Daniels. He had 25 in that game against Iowa State. Love Eric Dixon. Love Brandon Slater. But uh, even Jordan Longino is a young player that I think is coming on. He's going to be really good really soon. But at the end of the day, like Villanova is just missing that one alpha. They're missing the Colin Gillespie. They're missing the Jeremiah Robinson Earl that will just get the job done for them, especially in the biggest moments when they needed them the most. And I know Jay Wright, he's no longer here. And Kyle Neptune, it was never going to be easy for him, especially to live up to the expectations that Jay Wright set. But losing to Portland, losing to Oregon, and really just getting out-fought and out-toughed in these games, like, that's just not what you want to see if you're Villanova. Excuse me. And the tough part is, it's not going to get any easier, right? They're... Right now, looking like one of the teams at the bottom of the Big East, they will host Oklahoma on Saturday. If you're Villanova, that's a game you've got to win. Just at least build some kind of resume, and then they'll start off big play, Big East play hosting St. John's. They'll have a trip to Boston College before that kicks off. That, that actually is going to be a neutral court game uh, at the Prudential Center in New Jersey. But Villanova, I mean, they don't have a point guard, and I know Mark Armstrong was – possibly an option for them but it's clear he's not ready is the freshman and I know they're missing Whitmore but again these players just playing a ton of minutes it shouldn't be this many minutes and that's what's costing Villanova I mean losing to Oregon the Ducks they were looking like the team that had no fight in Portland they're the one that are getting run off the gym by UConn and losing to Michigan State and Oregon they had plenty of injuries too like that's another thing Villanova can't really be using injuries in this instance as an excuse because Oregon was missing Enfali Dante. They were missing Keyshawn Bartholomew. They were missing Nathan Biddle. They're missing a lot of guys, and still they were able to beat you, Villanova. That's not a great look. Uh, Yeah, Villanova, it is looking real likely that they might miss the NCAA tournament for really the first time I remember. I will give you guys the exact stat there before we move on to our final takeaway. But Jesus, Villanova, I mean, my God, two and five, that is something you never expect. And the last time Villanova missed the NCAA tournament, yes, that would be 2000. And I got it up right here. That would be the last time Villanova missed, 2012. So it's been a really long time for Villanova. This would be the first time in a decade 
that they would miss the big dance. And if they don't start getting better soon, that will be the case. Our final takeaway from the feast week of college basketball, you got to talk about the Big Ten and the ACC. And the reason I bring this up, actually, is because it was actually just announced this morning that the Big Ten ACC Challenge, an ESPN event that's been going on for over 20 years now, that is no longer the case. It's done. It was a great run. This is going to be the final year of the Big East Big, uh, of the Big Ten ACC Challenge. And it sucks because this is an event I always look forward to, uh, having these two conferences go at it, but there's TV rights involved. The Big Ten isn't really broadcasted on ESPN anymore. They just agreed to that massive new media rights uh, deal with Fox Sports. So the Big Ten is actually out. The ACC will be taking on the SEC in conference challenges from now on. But even besides that, we got to compare the Big Ten and their feast week uh, and the ACC because all the ACC does, it seems like these days, is lose. Florida State, they go 0-3 at the ESPN in, uh, Events Invitational in Disney. You also have Louisville. They go 0-3 in Maui. Georgia Tech, they go 0-2 at their MTE. Syracuse, we spoke about. They lose to Bryant, and uh, they lost to Colgate. You have Pitt. They get blown out in their MTE by Michigan, and they lose to VCU. Boston College is not very good. Duke gets blown out. Notre Dame loses to St. Bonaventure on Saturday by 12 points. The same St. Bonaventure team that lost basically everyone from that core that made the NCAA tournament a few years ago. So the ACC is just, it's not good right now. You have Virginia. They're looking like the clear best team. Duke and North Carolina have been disappointing, but you hope at least you got to think they'd be in the mix near the top, especially in this version of the ACC by the time the season ends. And then you have, Teams like Notre Dame, who've been disappointing. Virginia Tech, they've been good, but they even lost to Charleston in the finals of their MTE, which is a an event the ACC probably would have wanted to win. I mean, Miami hasn't really done anything for me so far. They had a nice, uh, tough victory over South or Central Florida on the road yesterday, but that's still a game. Like, Miami should win relatively easily. And besides Virginia and NC State, like, honestly, there hasn't really been a team in the ACC that has been better than my expectations just a lot of disappointments and this league might not even get more than five NCAA tournament bids and that's a shame because after how bad the ACC was last year I really thought it was impossible for it to get any worse but as as a matter of fact that is the case the ACC is significantly worse than last season and that is a major major problem you look at the Big Ten though I gotta give them credit all they do is win Indiana they're sitting at six and oh Maryland, they're sitting at 6-0. Purdue, mentioned them earlier, they're sitting at 6-0. You got Penn State at 6-1. You got Iowa at 5-1. You got Illinois at 5-1. You got Ohio State at 5-1. You got Michigan at 5-1. You got Rutgers at 5-1. You got Northwestern at 5-1. And you even got Wisconsin at 5-1. So there have only been three teams in the Big Ten that have lost more than one game. One of them is Michigan State. Two of their losses have came uh, to Gonzaga and to Alabama, two pretty acceptable losses. And then Minnesota and Nebraska, probably the two uh, clear bottom teams in the ACs in the Big Ten right now, but there are t- plenty of other teams in the Big Ten, I would say, that are that would be, you know, near the middle top tier of the ACC because that's how bad the ACC is and vice versa. If you put some of these eight, ten, uh, uh, if you put some of these ACC teams in the Big Ten, it probably wouldn't even get any better 
for them. So the Big Ten right now looks like the significantly better conference than the ACC. And you know what that means. The ACC will just dominate the Big Ten uh, challenge well this season because we don't expect it. But yeah, the Big Ten right now, we're seeing why over the course of the last few years, they've just been the better conference, getting more teams into the big dance. And I would be shocked if that doesn't continue this year. And keep in mind, I was someone who was pretty down on the Big Ten coming into the season just because they lost so many talented players. You know, uh, Michigan, they lose a ton of their guys, Caleb Houston, Musa Diabate. You look at Illinois losing Kofi Coburn. You look at Ohio State losing uh, two first-round picks in E.J. Liddell and Malachi Branham. Wisconsin, they lose Johnny Davis and Brad Davison. Uh, Rutgers, they lose Geo Baker. Uh and it's been a lot of talent lost in the Big Ten. You look at Iowa losing uh, Chris Mur- or Keegan Murray uh, as well. So there was just a ton of talent lost in the Big Ten, but still this conference continues to win. I was impressed with their feast week. So that's going to do it for today's episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. Again, I'm your host, Zach Kroll, and this is the podcast where we talk all things college basketball from now until the end of the season in the final four the road will end there in Atlanta. And I just wanted to say once again, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back Wednesday talking a ton of college basketball as always here on this podcast. And I hope everyone enjoyed their feast week as well. There aren't many better times to be a college basketball fan than feast week. When you're waking up in the morning and there are games on left and right, it was just an awesome weekend, an awesome weekend of sports. And yeah, I can't wait to continue talking more and more college basketball with you guys on this podcast. Everyone have a great week, and I'll talk to you guys soon.